Making movies is really tough. To get it all done, you gotta know your stuff. First you write a script, then you raise some cash. Shoot the film, then you're done in a flash. So here's some things that you need to know. It's my first feature. Hello and welcome to My First Feature. I'm your host, Ethan Cushing. I'm a director and producer working in Los Angeles, and this is the podcast where each week I interview a new filmmaker about the experience of directing their first feature film. With me today is writer-director Nick Ozeki. Nick is a graduate of Chapman University's Film Conservatory, and for his thesis short, he wrote and directed a film called Mamitas. That short was the basis for his 2011 feature film of the same name. Hi, Nick. How are you? I'm doing well. <laughs> Good to have you, man. Exactly. Thanks yeah. for thanks for meeting me. Um, so, so we met at Chapman University. We were both students together there. Same, same, same year. class. Yep. Um, and so that's when I, you know, knew you first. But before that, obviously, like, what was your first experience, or what was your first memory of saying, "Oh, I want to, I want to make movies. I want to be a storyteller. I want to be a director." Do you Oof. have like a seminal moment, or did it always just be, was it always there? I don't know. I think um, I had made movies. Uh, I think a lot of kids had access to, you know, VHS recorders. So I'd, I'd done that stuff with my friends when I was younger and we'd all always had a good time. So it was in the back of my mind because um, I got pretty into, you know, making those things. I mean, usually it was for school or education, like an English class interpretation of a Shakespeare sonnet or something. Right. But then I in college I took a few film production courses in undergrad and yeah Yeah. in undergrad and I was actually an English major I was not a a film major but I just out of curiosity took these classes and I think it was like the final present the final screening like our presentation where we were in the dark and then you get to see like the reaction you know some people liked it some people didn't but like I remember just after the lights came up people were talking and you like overhear conversations about your work and you know it's kind of a very interesting experience you know yeah to share that so i think that was probably when i seriously was like let's let's do the film thing yeah Yeah. you spend so much time in your own head with this thing and then you get to see people experience it and it's a really i don't know it's a really visceral uh experience just to watch other people share your work in that way yeah exactly yeah you just Um, kind of you know, you can feel the emotions can be palpable in like a movie theater. Absolutely. So, you know, I mean, you know, whether it's happy or sad or funny or whatever it yeah. is, right? You know, so I remember that same electricity when you screened your, your short film for Mamita's like the short uh, at our film school. I mean, mm. you know, we everyone came out of that thesis screening and everyone was like, oh, well, Nick's good. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you remember that or felt that. I mean, uh, or, or if you're too I modest know, to agree, but I, I mean, I, I remember very vividly being like even just for myself like oh wow that is what a student film should be or any short film should be yeah i mean i think you know i was i was happy um yeah you lose a lot of perspective especially like when you're in film school and it's like your first you know big thing that you're doing your thesis so it was you know you're more nervous than anything else uh and you just want to make sure that that first presentation goes off well. And, you know, I mean, as a director, I'm sure you, you understand what I'm saying. Like yeah. You're always seeing things, you know, that you want to change. But anyway, sure. yeah, it was good. I mean, I think everybody that I worked with was super talented as well. So that that's kind of that's why I got lucky in yeah. that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. going into I mean. Going from undergrad to grad, uh, were you a big film nerd? I mean, I know there's guys out there who can quote, you know, Hitchcock backwards and forwards and all that kind of stuff. That's not necessarily my history. And, mm. and whether or not it's yours, I mean, 
going into grad school, did you have any filmmakers or films that kind of influenced you? Um, uh, well, I wasn't a film nerd, but um, I went to a pretty nerdy college. And uh, where'd you go? I went to Amherst okay. College. Well, I, you know, I don't want to say that they're nerd all nerdy, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Like it was. Um, so there, there was a lot of film studies classes there. So I took I took one on Hitchcock, and I remember um, just there was you know part of that class dealt with uh hitchcock's like there's a concept called the male gaze mm -hmm. um that was i believe the person that wrote about it was laura mulvey i believe um and you know it's just about how hitchcock's characters as well as him as a director kind of would objectify women yeah. a little bit and you know it was like the male gaze the male perspective so i was always kind of fascinated with you know the ways in which directors like strong auteurs can really influence you know stylistically other filmmakers and you know th concepts like that learning about that stuff and the film studies classes uh that's kind of what i brought into film school when i when i went to graduate school hmm. but i wasn't really like you know i could i couldn't really recall quotes or dates or things like that right yeah gotcha um so going back to mamitas this film obviously was a long time in the making you started as a short in, in film school and then yeah. developed it as a feature afterwards. Can you tell me just the process of getting this feature off the ground, starting with the short that you made in Chapman? Uh -huh. Well, the, you know, anybody that goes to film school, one of the strategies, especially graduate film school is that the, your professors will tell you is, you know, do work or even create a short film that represents a, a longer form feature that you want to do. So that when you're raising finances, people get a good idea of what you you're have a calling card. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What you're what you're what they're getting into if they want to invest. So I would say that that strategy definitely helped um, uh, because just, you know, you're approaching people. A lot of people that you approach, especially in the independent world, aren't necessarily people that usually invest in films. So they're very they need they don't have like a good idea of like, you know, exactly what they're getting into in terms of the industry. So for them just to be able to at least see something that you've done, yeah. you know, helps them, you know, along with their decision. So you went help. into, so you went into Chapman with, or you went into your thesis film saying, I want to make something that can be used to show people when I inevitably make the feature film version of this. Yes. Yes. Wow. Okay, great. Yeah. That's I mean, that's, that's smarter than most, I'd say. Well, I mean, I maybe, but I I was just doing what I people said to do. So I who mean, influenced I, you? Like, do you remember who? I just remember, kind of um, you know, Deju was my he, which he was a the film a dean at the film school at the yeah. time. He was my thesis professor, so that was one of the things he was saying. And then you know, I remember uh, Wolanski, Paul Wolanski, sure, uh, at Chapman. He also that was he did a whole class on short films, and you know, I'm, you were there, so. That was a very common thing he would say, you know, this turned into a feature. Yeah. Vice versa. Right? So where did the germ of the idea for Mamitas the Short come from? Well, actually, you know, interestingly, when I was in that Wolanski class and we were watching all those short films, I mean, there is good variety here and there, but I felt like a lot of especially short films from American film schools, predominantly like white characters. Right. Uh, especially protagonists. Um, 
and you know I, I'm of mixed ethnicity so I'm my father's Japanese my mom's white so you know I've you know had a taste of what it is to be a minority and so I noticed that and um early on I said to myself you know like I'm gonna try to do put minorities in roles in in my film so that's where the you know the Mexican-American theme came from from Mamitas's I wanted to start, you know, work within some kind of a minority group and tell a story within their world. Sure. Can yeah. you give me a brief synopsis of of the feature just so we can have yeah, context for what you're talking course, about? Of course. Of course. So the feature is a it's a coming of age story and it deals with a the male protagonist is named his name is Jordan and he's a Mexican American kid growing up in East LA. And a transfer student uh, who's from New York and she's uh, Puerto Rican or New Rican because um, she was born in New York, but Puerto Rican descent uh, transfers senior year. And then it's kind of like a coming of age story about Jordan and his relationship with women, whether it's, um, you know, the women that he's romantically involved with or his his peer, his teachers that are, um, you know, that are trying to help influence his education and go to college. So it's kind of like a, you know, a slice of life story. Sure. So speaking of uh, Jordan's relationship to women, let's listen to a clip right now uh, from one of the first scenes in the film where Jordan and his friends are (laughs) uh, checking out the women and talking about them uh, on the schoolyard. Okay. Yo, man, let's go hit up some chingadas, man. Nah, dog, I'm good, man. You guys go. I have fun. Yo, man, what's gotten into you? Man, I got suspended today, dude. Oh, for reals? Yeah, Miss Ruiz, dude. Ah, man, she ain't a fan of yours, huh? Well, you know what? It's all BS anyways, man. I don't even care. Right? Uh, Yo, why you always hitting me, dude? You be chilling at the house all week without me, fool. Now nah, you play too much, dude. Damn. Yo, kid. Look at Kika. She is looking all sexy in them little shorts. Man, Ooh. I taxed that Kilo all night. Right, right you right, what? Right. Said I taxed that all night. <laughs> Yo, man, why she with that ugly girl? Ugh. Ugly. So what you gonna do, son? Let's see what you got. Sure ain't no one do, man. I ain't do nothing. What? Oh hell no, man. You better go ahead and man up right now. I'm good, dog. Hold on. I think I smell a potential really? right here. Really? Okay. Really? Okay. Alright then, you stay right here. You ready? I'm ready. Let's go. I know my boys got this. Alright, right, 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 right. listen, hold them back for now, alright? Alright, you got this? I got you, fools. Yeah, take okay. us to school, Jordan. Oh, yeah. I got take this. us to school. Take us to school. Yeah, watch this kid fall on his face. Don't trip. Yeah, so that gives you a little taste of what the film is like in the characters. Um, yes. So you had this idea for this short. You made the short. Uh, it was uh, very well received at school, and I, I believe you've put it into a few festivals. Correct? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, that whole yeah, thing. It did some, did some festivals. Cool. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, then you graduated, moved to LA, and what was the process of then developing the feature film script? So, yeah, I mean, we so the f- the short film I produced, uh, my producer was Adam Renahan, who I worked with. Um, and the short did well. Um, you know, it, it won a few festivals and we thought like because of the, the, the reception of the short and, you know, people often said that they could see this as a, a feature length film, which is great because that was the plan. And um, so Adam and I, my producer, we sat, uh, you know, on a couch and just said, let's, let's do this. And, um, I banged out the feature script 
And then we just started, you know, trying to learn how to raise money, which was, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's not easy to do, you know, especially for art. Sure. (laughs) So that was a, uh, that was a, probably about a, a year of mostly no's from people wow. that we were trying to get money from. And then, you know, eventually what I learned was that people always ask you how much you want them to invest. Sure. Right. But what you as a filmmaker or somebody who's raising money need to really think about is how much you think they would want to give you. Right. Okay. And I think that's one thing that it, early on I was like, well, I kind of want a lot of money. So I'm, I'm <laughs> I want $50 million. Dollars. But, you know, and so but the, the whole thing is you're thinking about more, more, more you want it. Right. And but it's really like everybody, it doesn't matter who they are. You know, virtually everybody, there is some amount that they would invest, whether it's $100 or $50. Or $1. Right. So um, anyway, that's kind of the. So the how did that inform? Here. How did that inform your pitching of trying to get investors when you kind of realize that twist? Well, I think in the beginning, uh, I was very optimistic in my pitch, and I, I was very enthusiastic about the potential of you know the the business side of things. Um, and it's not that I didn't believe or or really want that to happen for the film. I wanted the film to be financially successful. But, you know, I, I think that might have, it might have, investors might not have been, you know, I think that approach kind of turned them off a little bit. Like they're thinking like, this person is trying to sell me something, mm. right? So I stopped, you know, when I started having success, it wasn't like I was trying to sell them something a product it was more like i was just explaining to them why this story was important Mm. and then figuring out kind of like you know just what they would be comfortable uh investing if they if they were interested and so we had people that gave us like just a couple hundred dollars and that's fine yeah you know so Um, was it that sounds a little bit like kickstarter on a grander scale but mm. you know was it a did your investors come from a variety of places at a variety of levels i mean yeah yeah. As you know, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but yeah. what was how many people ended up investing in the film? I don't know, like maybe I, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think around 30 oh, wow. to 40 wow. people somewhere in between. Because I I did a lot of uh, we had I myself and then I had an associate producer and a producer and we all were kind of raising money from private equity, okay. you know contact so i you know um, so were you just going to rich people that you knew and said hey well, you want to can i talk to you for a minute i mean that, yeah, that's the part I mean, that like always sort of it's weird huh yeah, yeah i mean i haven't had that experience but i'm all like why would, where do i start you know like who do i know that has money i mean is that yeah, is that is it simple as that a, it's kind of an awkward uh process because it's you know you feel like you're exploiting you know your contacts a little bit but uh I mean, there's not really any way around it. I mean, unless you can get, you know, a film financer to finance your film, but independent world, it's, you got to usually do it through private equity. So anyway, yeah. So you were just kind of strategically thinking of people that you knew or friends of friends who maybe would be possibly interested in investing. Yes. We had to, I had just, and it it wasn't even really like direct people that I knew. It was like, maybe this person knows, you know, like they worked for this 
person or did that make it easier if there was like a level of removal that you weren't like hey uncle don you know invest in my movie where it was Mm -hmm. uncle don's co-worker so you could i don't know yeah i mean i definitely my i think i asked my father if he knew anybody and so he did and so i pitched to that guy and i think he invested a little bit of money okay but um, probably just out of courtesy to my father. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Awesome. So you, uh, raised the money. Uh, it took about a year. You said, Oh no, that w- there was a year of no's and then, oh, a year that, of no's. then a couple more years of, uh, you know, just slowly getting people to, to, wow. to, to invest just a little bit yeah. at a time, you know? So how long did it take from when you had the finished script to when you had the money in the bank? Oh, I would say probably about two years. Wow. Cause I mean, yeah, where the, I mean, I was obviously, you know, while you're making that first movie, you usually have plenty of time to, you know, rewrite parts of the script or work on the script. So, um, I was always doing that, you know, yeah. tinkering while, yeah. while we were, you know, trying to get money. Yeah. So you said that it went from a sales pitch to just, explaining why this film needed to be made and why this story needed to be told. I wonder if you could just briefly tell me and the listeners that perspective, like what was it about Mamitas that you were passionate right. about? Well, I mean, I think one of the things that I saw in the short um, in terms of reaction from audiences is that, you know, people appreciated that as uh, especially, you know, Hispanic Americans or any of anybody, um, any minority really appreciated seeing themselves represented uh, in more of a positive way. Um, because you know, uh, it's no secret. A lot of minorities, they're stereotyped in different roles in entertainment. So, you know, Hispanic people sometimes can be, you know, um, reflected in their ethnicity can be reflected in gangs and, you know, drug use or just lower socioeconomic, you know, society type stuff. And, you know, if you see, if you're constantly as a, uh, as an, somebody growing up in America shown these images of you in popular TV, you know, it, it has, it affects you. I mean, sometimes more for other people than others, but yeah. anyway, people appreciated just seeing a, a movie about them in where they live. That just was like more like a story that they actually could experience. Mm. Right. Cause most people obviously aren't criminals, you know, sure. or suffering and, you know, from socioeconomic problems, you know, to the extent they're represented. So when I, that, I remembered that. And then when I was, so back to raising money, right. That's kind of the conversation I would have is this story is important. And first of all, there's a lot of Hispanic people in America at this point, and there's a lot of Mexican Americans. And so, you know, they are part of our country, our society. So it is important that we represent them positively. And I think people, you know, it's most people could get on board with that. Absolutely. Idea, at least more so than the single white male kind of story that we've seen a million jillion times. Yeah. I mean, exactly. So I think people at that point were a lot of them were comfortable investing because, you know, at the end of the day, they felt like their money was going to something that was positive. So that's I think a great, that's a great tip. You know, I mean, I, and that's not to say your movie has to be positive. Uh, if you're making it, but you should find something that's like where people can understand or see what's where your passion comes from in terms of why you want to tell the story. Yeah, so. that's great. Um, so you raise the money 
it got in the bank and then you began physical production. Yes. Um, I want to know what was your relationship with your DP like? How did you guys kind of plan the shoot? Um, because watching it again, I was just so struck by how just organic it all is. Like mm -hmm. you have this organic sort of handheld style and the camera is always, I feel like it's always in the right place. And I feel like a lot of young first time filmmakers and directors, um, well, you know, just do wide, medium, close, over, over, and then they move on, you know? Mm. And and this, the camera is just always looking for the right thing, and it just feels good. It feels very documentary kind mm. of style, and mm. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that that process. Uh, well, Andrew Davis, um, Andrew M. Davis was my DP, uh, and I met him in film school. He shot the short, f f uh, the thesis film that I did. Right. And so we, we, we did the feature as well together. And, um, I want to say like the, I think the reason, and I'm hoping the reason why it feels organic to you is because I think when people, when directors shot list with their DPs, sometimes it can get a little, you know, just one, two, three type of, you know, very back and forth it's not very creative you know we'll do a master and two shot and those you know you can shoot films that way and it's great but i think that it's actually better to like construct your shots while reading your script and kind of envisioning where you want that camera to be and so are you editing the film in your head when you're planning the shots to a degree well, Is that what you're I, saying? I hope I hope most people do that right i mean because you should be able to see the film that you want to make right i mean you know, when you think about your film, uh, think about the scene. Hopefully you're s playing it out, you know. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how, you know, I would try to go about talking about shots with Andrew. And, mm. and you know, we, we had a very, like, loose script for a shot list. And it was more about, you know, I went into a scene and I knew, okay, this is what's really important about this scene. And I want to get this moment over here and that moment. And then, you know, we'll figure out you know so you kind angles. of held the shot list a little loosely and then when you got oh, there yeah. on the day you were finding things on the day yeah i oh, mean okay. i think that and that you know for better or worse uh helped us at least in speed uh because it's very easy to like say we don't really need this shot over here we kind of already got and so it's very easy just to not you know to kind of edit along the day but that might not work for everybody you know yeah um for whatever reason, the relationship I have with Andrew is pretty quick. Like we, we understand kind of, you know, what we're, what I want and what he wants and it works out. So that's great. Yeah. I remember a shot when Jordan is, uh, realizing that, uh, his mother was not what he thought. Uh, and he's reading some notes and it's a very, very tight shot of him. And it's, there's, it's very dirty over the other characters right, right. sort of back. Um, and you only use that shot just for that one little minute of that one little piece of revelation. Um, mm -hmm. were there things like that when you were planning that, that you're like, Oh, I want to hit that moment in this direction via this camera angle. And that's all I need it for. I don't need yeah. to run the whole scene that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing about, um, the thing about, uh, and, and I'm just realizing this now, actually, is that, you know, with a drama, there's the only thing that is dramatic is what you as a director and the actors put into it. You know, I mean, you can have dramatic visuals as well, but in a drama that might not be appropriate. Right. 
So you really do have to go in to each scene that you're rehearsing and shooting and, and understand where the drama is. So you ha you do have those shots in mind for sure. Okay. Um, you know, some types of films like that are a little more plot driven or, you know, action, maybe that's a little more where you have to be precise in your shots, but hmm. the drama, it's like you can shot list off emotion, I think a lot more. Great. Um, so you and Andrew kind of did this rough shot list. You guys got on set. You held things loosely. Um, what was it like day to day? I mean, this is your first feature film. You have all of this money that is not yours. Um, you know, you're a first time feature film director. Yeah. What was going through your head? What was it like? Okay. Well, the, the, I mean, I would say it was an amazing experience. Very, very like by the end of it, you know, you have withdrawal, um, because it's such an intense working relationship. Um, but the first day or two, just me, my personal experience was, I had a lot of anxiety because, you know, you do, you've got like, we had a pretty large crew, like 20 plus people plus actors and everybody's there. You've all got all this money that you've been working. And then it's like, it's just, okay, here you go, Nick. Now it's time for you to do your thing. And you're like, wow, it's here. Right. And anyway, so that first day I really, you know, we planned, I knew that this was going to happen. So I, we planned the shots pretty lightly and the scenes weren't super important for that day. It was more like B roll exterior kind of stuff. But anyway, you know, in the beginning it was, it was tough. And then, then you just get, you know, you just kind of like, you don't have time to get too concerned about anything because things move so quickly in production. So you just got to either deal with it or not, but yeah. Yeah. Were there any other, I don't know, fires that you had to put out or any other kind of major things that you had to sort of work around or, yeah. you know, uh, again, that maybe now as a more seasoned filmmaker, you wouldn't run into or. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think anybody that has had an intense job or has been on working on, on set understands it's like, you know, it's a very intense atmosphere. Um, so just naturally there's going to be more drama. There's just so much happening you know, in a short space of time that inevitably things are, you know, there's going to be problems. So, um, major fires, uh, well, we, so we part, one of the, one of the locations we shot at was the natural, natural history museum. Right. And we somehow for a very steeply discounted price managed to get like four hours uh, right after, or like an hour or two after they closed. And, you know, that is an impossible feat pretty much. And we, and the thing is, I knew that it was not, we were going to go over, right? I knew right. that. And then, so anyway, they were just, they were pretty upset with us, I think. And, and then like, we were just dragging all the equipment out so they could lock the doors. And then the sprinklers turned on and started Perfect. like, dousing the equipment anyway so that was an interesting but you know i mean we got i think the, the scenes actually turn out some of my favorite shots in the movie are actually in that from that scene yeah well one or two particularly but yeah, yeah interesting good shots i think how did you approach how did you approach the talent um because again I, I i was also struck by just how naturalistic the performances were and and everything felt so real uh it, it felt a lot of times like it was improvised um oh, interesting uh 
how did you how did you achieve that? How did you go? Did you guys rehearse a bunch, or did, were you just there on the set cold? And and um, mm. what was your philosophy with the performances? Well, so we got um, we got the two younger leads, um, uh, and that w- I mean, they were not super experienced actors. I mean, they they had d- both done you know a lot of short films, I think, and a couple of. TV stuff and maybe one or two features, but they weren't like, you know, they were just starting They're at the beginning of their career. So we got them, but we wanted to surround them with like older, more seasoned actors. So, um, approaching, you know, like Joakim de Almeida, you know, we had to go through his agent and, um, you know, it's always interesting because, you know, you, you're sending them their script and it's, you know, like when they're interested, you're just like, wow, it's, it's kind of an, a, a pretty amazing moment when somebody that has worked professionally is actually interested in doing your work. So, you know, it's just, but you, you understand that, or they understand that it's like a very small movie. So they're really doing it because they actually want to either try out playing a character like that, or they somehow connected to the story. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, just you know an overall tip is like if you want somebody that's you know maybe somewhat of a name you just got to get you want to give them parts a that they don't usually play against type yeah and b that they can shoot out in like a week or not a week like a weekend right was so, that your philosophy with with the character of alex yeah so he we got joe Kim, i think and he was done in three days wow so we just shot all of his stuff you then know he went off to make fast and furious yeah whatever it was six or seven or whatever yeah so, uh, yeah. And that, but that works great because, you know, it's low commitment really for him. Um, you know, it's just a weekend out of his life. So he's, he was happy to help out. I mean, we paid him obviously, but it, <laughs> sure. wasn't, it was like, I th- he, he came up to me, he was sitting like in the front yard on a lawn chair at this house we were shooting. And so that gives you an idea of the level of production yeah, I mean, we're talking about on the side of the no uh, trailers. Uh, and he's like, yo, Nick, so it was funny cause I, he was doing fast and the furious six or whatever. And he's like, um, my per diem that they gave me when I went to go, you know, uh, I'd, like do a test shoot over there was more than what you're paying. Me now. <laughs> like, just, just to go like shopping with, but anyway, he was joking around, but that, you know, that he's, he's a good guy. He's, you know, he wants to do stuff. He wants to work. So that's great. Um, what about the younger guys? Like, what was your process with rehearsals and, and getting the performances you wanted and, and how did you approach that? Well, uh, EJ Bonilla and Veronica Diaz, uh, the two leads, I mean, they, they are just very passionate actors. Um, and just, you know, I cast EJ just off of, um, you know, I, he didn't have, he didn't audition for me. I just cast him off of the oh, work wow. I'd seen him do. Um, he did a movie for Sundance called Don't Let Me Drown, and um, he did some other stuff on HBO. And so I saw him, and I just approached him. Uh, you know, I had my casting agent approach his, his representatives, and he's offer only. Yeah, he was down because it was a lead. Uh, yeah. you know, and you know it was different than it was in LA. So, uh, and then. Veronica actually, she auditioned. Um, we probably saw, you know, about a hundred people for that part. Wow. But like she was day one, she came in, I think day one and it was just, it was really, I mean, it wasn't the worst problem to have, but we were like, 
I kind of like her a lot, but we just literally started auditioning people. So we should probably see other people, but she had it from the beginning anyway. So they really were both passionate and they came out, came out here and we, we rehearsed for about a week beforehand. Oh, you did? Yeah. At, we had a space at, uh, I think UCLA or something. We got a space over there. What was that process like? What were you doing with them? So, uh, first, I mean, we would just go over each scene, uh, chronologically and um, I would sit down with them and we just talk about the script, that scene, the words on the page, the subtext, you know, probably for a couple hours. And then uh, we would we would start to block it out. And um, that I, I'm not precious with because I wrote the script. I'm not precious with the dialogue or anything. So if if there was things that needed to be changed, because I mean, they might you know, have a better idea, uh, cause they're Hispanic. So we would change it. And, you know, it was a great, it was a great process. And I think, you know, it's important to do that, but I think also what's a secondary thing is that you're building a relationship with your actors so that when you're on set, it's not like you're strangers in this like intense situation. It's like, they feel more of a kinship to you when you rehearse for a while beforehand. And, and like, you know, because the set is so stressful you can protect them a little bit more and they feel a little more protected by you. So having that rehearsal time, which is a luxury, you know, some people don't necessarily have, mm-hmm. um, were there any things on set if you needed to adjust performance, any tips or tricks or magic bullets that you were able to use, um, to get your actors to, to get there to, to performance wise? Uh, well, I think what, what I've noticed, um, you know, being on set, not as a director, um, but, you know, work, just working with my, my colleagues, you know, some, some directors, they go when they're asking for a change, you know, everybody has their, their different techniques, but some, some of them are a little bit of a roundabout way of asking, you know, exactly what it is that director wants change. They don't actually address the problem there, you know, and maybe that for them might work, but for me, I'm just very direct. And, you know, if it's a reaction that I'm not feeling, I'll just tell the actor, like, you know, I don't think this is working right here. And, you know, let's just talk about why this isn't working um, and just be very open and honest about it um, and not critical. And that's why, you know, the, that previous going into these situations, that previous relationship is so important because, you know, they have to trust you, especially if you're being critical with you know, with their performance or whatever it is. But, um, but after yeah. giving that sort of note, Mm-hmm. You found they were able to get to the core of what wasn't working and adjust on their own without you, you know, say line reading or yeah. trying to like craft this grand metaphor to, to get them to understand what you want out of them. Yes, I think. And and sometimes maybe they didn't even understand it, but they just did what I was asking <laughs> and it worked. And sometimes, you know, that's the reality. You know, you don't want it philosophically. You don't want that to happen. You want sure. everything to be great and a lot of communication. But so openness you know, and honesty and, yeah. and just kind of frankness worked to get to get what you needed. Yeah, I mean, I, I, these are just regular people, and so I mean, just just be honest, and you know, I I think I think they they appreciate the fact that you're they they see that you know I don't think a lot of people do that. You know, yeah, so. do you think that the other philosophy is coming from a place of you know assuming these actors are kind of fragile flowers and you don't want to bruise their egos or get in the way of their process. And so you're trying to like mm. bury them in words and hopefully they'll be able to dig out what you're trying to. Yeah. You know, I, 
I I mean, I took in with you, I think I took a direct or acting for directors. So I, I got a little taste of what it's like to be an actor. Uh, so, but I, I'm not formally trained, so I don't, you know, I don't really know what it's like to have to go through that process. Uh, you know, and I'm sure each process is different for them, you know, depending on whatever they're working on. But so I don't, I don't really know if that, if they're, they, we should treat them like fragile. I mean, I don't think you should, I think you should just, I mean, each, maybe some people are fragile, some people are not. You just have to recognize who they are. Right. And talk to them that way but um you know sometimes though <laughs> that's the thing like if the actor is not if the performance is not working then you know maybe th- there isn't anything you can do sometimes it's it, and that's a, the nightmare i've been in that yeah. situation where i'm sitting there and i'm staring this actor in the face and i just come to the realization there's nothing i can do and there's not enough time to figure yeah. it out and yeah, I just got to say good job and, and give me one more or something. Exactly. And that's I, a really f- dreadful feeling. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> and, and, you know, and I think that happened to me several times on this film. Uh, and I'm not going to be specific, but there were moments where, you know, you you just be like, there's it's just, you know, I just didn't cast this right. It, and mm. it's not their fault. It's just they're just not the right. It's not what I saw when I wanted to do this. And. You know, sometimes though you can, you just alter your perspective a little bit and maybe they can work, but in another frame, you know, another way. But, um, yeah, but yeah, that's, that happens. (laughs) (laughs) Um, is there anything that you learned from Amitas that you plan to apply to your next feature instead of looking back, looking forward? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I learned a lot about the business aspect of filmmaking Um, so that was, that experience will be, you know, something that I, I will always, you know, use as a barometer for whatever I do in the future. Uh, just because it's the, the indie world is just so difficult. Um, and, and I think people know that, and I certainly knew that before I made the future, but once I started that process of the business side and distribution, then I really understood why it's so difficult. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that? How did you find distribution or, um, what was that process like? So, uh, we made the film with no, no distribution. Um, so we kind of just made it, you know, hoping that we could sell it and we got it. Um, we got a, a cut together for the LA film in time for the LA film festival and they liked it and they wanted to you know, put in their competition and, you know, LA is great. The movie was shot in LA. Um, you know, so it would be something that it would be a good festival for us. Uh, but you know, there's also those Sundances and, you know, Toronto. And I think we decided to play it safe and go with the shore thing and open at LA. And then we mm. got a sales rep, uh, and then they, they sold it to a distributor for us. So off the off the film festival, a sales rep came to you and said, I like this film. I want to help sell it. Well, it was actually before because I don't know. I guess they these sales rep agencies have access, but they kind of knew that we were going to be in the L.A. Film Festival. And so they called us and they're like, you know, what we want to do is use the, this festival to bring in distributors so that they can look at your film with an audience. 
Got it. And I was like, okay. And so yeah, that's, that's what happened. Um, and so distributors did come to LA film fest. They saw it. Someone, someone bought mm. it yeah. and then, uh, it had a, it had a run in theaters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it had, it had a, it had a run, uh, a, short, <laughs> a little jog. It was, a, it was more of a, like a short sprint to the door. But anyway, um, I saw it, I saw it in Echo Park. <laughs> I know. Right. I mean, and that was, that was cool, but you know, uh, and I think as a director, I mean, I think anybody, any filmmakers kind of tickled to see your film, you know, you know, where you can, where people generally go to see movies. It's kind of cool to see your name up there. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, selling the film to the distributor, were you, did you make your money back? So quote unquote, were you able to, were your investors, uh, <laughs> or is there, you know, is it a loss on the old tax income? Uh, well, look, I mean, the, you know, we could, I could probably sit and talk to you for hours and hours about why, uh, it's why it actually is difficult to make money off of independent films. I'd love that. Uh, but, <laughs> but suffice it to say that just the, the whole business model is not really set up to be profitable for you as a filmmaker. I mean, that's, that's, that's the takeaway from my experience is that, um, unless you just, for whatever reason, unless you make paranormal activity. Yeah. You know, just things that you can't really predict, you know, whether it's going to be successful or not. But, uh, you know, the thing is, you know, we did when we were, uh, pitching the movie to get investment, you know, we said, we're, we want to put it in the theater. We want to put it, you know, on VOD, on television, you know, all the ancillary markets. And, and we did do that. But even though we did that, you know, it's still not the, 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 it just doesn't really work out. The numbers don't mm -hmm. add up because of all the people that you have to pay along the line up, up the ladder to put it on that particular platform. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so, so it sounds like this whole experience from inception to eat to, to distribution is largely just the next calling card to say, Hey, I did all this. I got this film all the way into theaters. Um, now give me the next one to do. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, having that under your belt is, I think a good, it's a good, it's a good thing to have, uh, but it's not, it's not going to in and of itself get you another project, you know, sure. you have to have, it's just icing on the cake. It's like the great script, you know, cool concept. Oh, and the director has done a feature before, but it's not like, you know, that's, I think what it's useful mm. for. So I'm, I'm waiting for that. Uh, I need to have another <laughs> script that's, you know, that has plausible. that alchemy. Yeah. Um, what advice do you have for a filmmaker looking to make their first feature film? Hmm. So, I mean, I think, I mean, this is, and this is a great question. Um, Thank you so I'm, much. I'm trying to think of things that aren't usually said. Um, until you are actually make that decision to make the feature like everything is just going to be theoretical in your mind. It's going to be, you know, potentially something that could happen. Right. So even if you don't make that decision, what I found is that the investors, if you're trying to raise money or talk to people, they feel that you haven't made that commitment yet. Hmm. So make the commitment and then people just are going to see that commitment inside of you when you're talking about your project. Right. So I'm, if you're going to make this movie, let's make it, you know, let's make it in June and we're going to do it 
with $10,000 or if we can raise 50,000. I mean, that's kind of how we went about it. Hmm. We had a little bit and we're like, we're going to do it with this or, you know, maybe we can raise some more money, but we're going to do it. And then we were able to raise more money because people were like, oh, you're shooting part of something. Yeah. And then you could start casting and like, you know, it just, you got to get the ball rolling is, is the main thing, you know? Um, just, so just make the decision, I am going to make a feature film no matter what. If it's $0 yeah. budget or a $20 million budget, I'm making this movie, come hell or high water. Yeah, and then it, it's just like, with filmmaking, there's a million excuses you can come up with to not make, make the movie or not do it at that point. Uh, it's never going to change. So once you realize that, you're just like, well, there's always going to be a reason not to do it. So let's just do this. You know, Let's make this mm. movie. And then... I think people feel that, you know, so that's, I think, important. I don't think enough filmmakers actually try to formally or informally educate themselves about um, filmmaking itself. Right. Hmm. Um, and I think it's because of, you know, the ease of access to cameras and, you know, even if you don't know how to use a camera, like a DSLR or whatever, like you can still get a pretty good image out of it. And so because of that instant gratification, I don't think people really push themselves enough to understand like, you know, what is like beautiful lighting or what is amazing blocking and what is the, the intellectual side of why you're placing the camera at a certain angle. So I think if you, for first time filmmakers, it's like, don't be afraid to like really nerd out and study you know mm. the, the craft of filmmaking and i got lucky just because when i'm teaching you know i have to you know i, I have to have something to say that sounds <laughs> legit so i got any resources gotta, yourself that you've drawn from and um i i've been studying a lot of uh fincher fincher's movies yeah. um and you know i think fincher is it, it, one of the best right but you know i've never i never really i've never really been that emotionally involved in his movies and i think that might be why i haven't really studied him before or appreciated him before but after looking at his where he puts the camera and just how perfectly he can capture you know emotional moments i just think it's it's pretty crazy like he's a, mm. he's a you know he's somebody that everybody should study really because he puts thought into why he's setting the camera up in any particular angle, you know, a lot of thought. Yeah. I mean, a ton of thought. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Nick, uh, we have two more things. Uh, my last question, um, is, a is an unscripted question. And by that, I mean, I'm going to ask you a question via a famous movie quote, and you can answer the question any way you want as it pertains to your film. So just use the question sort of as like a jump jumping off point or like a word association or, um, mm -hmm. whatever you want. Okay. So, this question comes from Ray Kinsella from Field of Dreams. Okay. And the question is... Is that Kevin Costner? That's Kevin Costner. Okay. The question is, hey, Dad, you want to have a catch? Hey, Dad, do you want to have a catch? Um, you know, I would love to. <laughs> yeah. I, I, <laughs> I would love to. I chose that question for you because I think that there's some father issues in this Film. Oh, interesting. Um, you know, he's searching yeah. for his dad uh, and searching for this mystery man who he thinks maybe is his dad. And mm. I don't know. What does that mean to you? Or wh why was that a theme you, in the well, film? I mean, 
I think that Jordan's relationship with his father is, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's a, I mean, I, I didn't have a bad relationship with my father, but, um, that is something that people have talked about is like that the relationship between the father and the son, they can relate to in some way, shape or form, you know, and like, I think, you know, whether it doesn't have to be father and son, it can be, um, mother and daughter or whatever it is, uncle and, and niece or whatever. Right. So it's just that those barriers can go up. And I think people really appreciate the fact that in the story, they try to work through that, um, you know, in a, in a somewhat, I hope, honest way. Um, and so maybe it is kind of metaphorically like they're having a catch together. As, great. You know, working it out. I'm going to make this segment work if it's the last thing I do. That was a great <laughs> answer. All right. Speed round and then we're done. Speed round. Uh, five questions. Answer them to the best of your ability without thinking. Just whatever's in your heart. Is there a movie quote that you use in everyday conversation? Ah. What's your go-to quote? My go-to quote is... At this point, it's what's up, boss. Uh, just because I know I, so many, and I, I don't know if this is, this is probably from some movie. I don't know what movie, but there's so many students uh, that I meet uh, at the school and I never, I never know their name and employees too. And, and so I just say, what's up, boss? And boss is a good placeholder. What film yeah. was that from? I don't know. Though. Oh, That's, but you I, think it's a movie I, quote? I, probably. <laughs> what's up, boss? I what's mean, up, isn't, boss? Yeah. Great. Okay. Good enough. Uh, what's your <laughs> desert island movie? My desert island movie. Oh my goodness. Um, Goonies came into my mind. Great. But maybe it's because you said desert island. I don't know. The whole <laughs> ship thing. Sure. Not that there's. Yeah. Uh, what's your go-to item in craft service? Well, first I look at whether they have red vines or Twizzlers, and that tells you something about the philosophy yeah, of the film exactly. in general. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> So anyway, um, I, I'm not, I will eat the red vines, but, uh, You're a Twizzler man. Yeah. I good mean, for it's you. a little more, you know, good for you. Dream actor to work with. Well, Philip Seymour Hoffman would have been amazing. Mm. Uh, I, yeah, I always found him, his performance just, I thought just whatever he, he just left everything on the screen. So I would love to, uh, work with him. I mean, what I found is actually um, that the better the actor, the less you do you do as a director. So maybe <laughs> it's your great. job easier. <laughs> just work with really great actors. Sure. And you're just hanging out. Good you know, philosophy. Yeah, Twizzlers. <laughs> uh, last question. What film would you recommend my parents to see? Okay. So I've, I've always, I don't know if this is accurate, but I've always associated you with the Midwest. <laughs> Fair. And, um, so I would go with Terrence Malick's uh, Days of Heaven. Days of your, Heaven, for great. your parents. Awesome. Um, Check it out, Ellen Gary. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty uh, meditative movie, I think. Awesome. Nick, thanks so much for talking, man. Yeah, I really, really appreciate awesome. it. Uh, if people want to see Mamitas, where can they th- where can they find it? It's on iTunes, uh, Hulu, and um, Amazon. Great. Um, so that's pretty easy. That's where it is now at awesome. this point. Yeah. Anything else you want to plug? Anything coming up? Anything you're working on now? Um, no. I mean, you know, just just screenwriting is free. That's all. I'm gonna Great. Say. Screenwriting <laughs> is free. <laughs> where can people find you online if they want to get to know you better? Oh, just uh, I don't. I don't have an. You're I off the grid. I, I don't. Twitter. Um, 
I mean, I got email and a phone number, really. Okay. If <laughs> you want to find Nick Ozeki, Just talk to Ethan. Yeah, talk and, to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm at Ethan Cushing on Twitter. The podcast is at First Feature Pod on Twitter. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, email us at myfirstfeaturepodcast at gmail.com. And we will see you next time. Nick, thanks so much. Thanks.